Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, temptation, sin, lies, murder, and guilt. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 5. The title of the message is David's Fall, The Cover-Up. Second Samuel chapter 11. We are in the midst of David's fall. Instead of going to fight against uh, the Ammonites with the rest of his army, David seeks relaxation at home. And this opens up the door for David to be exposed to serious temptation. And so when the time comes to run, David instead drinks it in and has an affair with Bathsheba. Now, the affair or the suspicion of it might be known to a few servants in David's palace, uh, but most would be unaware. The king's business is the king's business, right? At least until David finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. And instead of coming clean, David crosses farther over the line with a massive cover-up. So chapter 11, we begin in verse 5. It says, And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. So this is after their tryst, their affair takes place in the palace. She goes home and she conceives and she tells David, I'm with child. I'm pregnant, man. Her affair would now be known by all, which means David's actions will become known too. And her sending word to David is basically saying, if I'm going down, you're going down. Why would this be a problem for a king? Well, because Israel, Israeli kings, they're not exempt from God's law. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it makes it very clear what happens to people in this situation. And the man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And so if David does not do something, this would be the end for both of them. There's nothing she can do. He needs to do something or this will be the end for both of them. And so... David is now faced with a choice, right? Now that you've been exposed, what are you going to do? He can either compound his sin by adding more sin to it, or he can confess his sin and throw himself on God's mercy. David will later write in Psalm 51, 17, after he repents, he'll write, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
I don't know about you, but I have made hard confessions in my life at times. Those are never easy things to do, but I have never regretted confessions made. I have always regretted the ones that I did not make. Always. I have never regretted a single one, even if it was painful to the individual I was confessing to. But I have always regretted the ones that I did not. And the reason is, is because it's always better to fall on God's mercy than to hope that somehow things just don't fall out bad. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you so that you do not sin, so that you sin not. That's the goal, right? The goal is just don't blow it in the first place, right? That's the, the bar we set. That's the standard we have. We don't use grace as a license for sin. But if we fall like David, we too are faced with a choice of compounding our sin or confessing our sin. Remember 1 John 1, 9 was one of the first verses I memorized as a Christian because that's what you do, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. An awesome, awesome, awesome promise. Good truth. It's attached to two other verses though. The one that comes before it and the one that comes after. And so with a beautiful promise that we often memorize, we ought memorize the two that come one before it and one after it. First John 1 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's the one I probably needed to memorize as much. <laughs> because, you know, we, well, no, 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 I, I didn't really do anything wrong. You know, see, see, what really happened is circumstances and they did this and we deceive ourselves, right? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we get to that place and we say we have not sinned, no, 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 I can fix this. No, 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 it's not that bad. It's, or no, there are reasons and, and therefore we don't confess The Bible says that truth is not in us at that point in time. We are operating in unreality. We are operating in in falsehood. We're operating in fairy tale land. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Maybe in your marriage, you've had arguments that go like this. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't have done fill in the blank. Anybody but me? I mean, just me. Maybe I'm the only jerk in the building. I remember distinctly, I was at a, a marriage class and they brought up that topic. Your sin is your sin. And if you don't own up to your sin, you can never change. I remember I went home from that class and I had a lot of apologizing due to my bride because that was my go-to. My sin is your fault. See, my sin is not my fault. In fact, that makes it not really sin. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. When I do that, I'm not operating on scripture at all, which says, hey, don't do this. Famous words spoken by a famous woman in my house frequently. (laughs) When I respond a certain way and she gets offended by that. And I say, well, you did this. She's like, so that makes it okay for you to do it too? I think, man, how do I always lose that fight? <laughs> but it's truth. So that made it okay for you to escalate? First John 1.8 and one ten is a 
beautiful warning, just as 1 John 1, 9 is a beautiful promise. A beautiful promise if we confess and a beautiful warning to those of us who would think about compounding it. And lest we think, well, David didn't know that. He didn't have 1 John. True, but these are not just New Testament ideas. This has always been God's dealings with humanity. Proverbs 28, 13, one of the most famous verses. My very first pastor probably quoted this verse more than any other verse in the whole Bible. In Proverbs 28, 13, he said, He who covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes his sins shall have mercy. He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. We read all throughout the scripture that God gives grace to who? The humble, right? I remember when this clicked for me. It was like, oh, the humble. What does the humble mean? Well, I I can give you the description. If you have kids, you know the description of not humble, right? Because you confront them with something, you go, you don't understand. Not my fault. They did this. I mean, and the problem is, though, is that, you know, while we see it and we go, oh, that's not good. That's pride. That's this. If we don't ever deal with it in our own hearts, then we become adults who act that way, too. God gives grace to the humble. I remember when that clicked in my mind, it's like, okay, if I come clean with God, and I, I just let it out, and God, I, I, I blew it again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. Like, I, like I'm, I'm not getting this right. I, I need help. There's grace for that. But in the minute that I begin to harden my heart, and no, 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 no well, I only did it because of this, or da-da-da-da, or, well, I can fix this on my own. God resists the proud, and then I am left on my own. So I, I would say to you, before we even get into how David compounds his sin, if, if you have fallen in some way, please bring it into the light. I know it's scary, but the only time we don't bring it into the light is because we don't want our deeds to be exposed. And the problem is, is exposing them is how we find wholeness. It's how we find healing. It's how we find forgiveness. It's how we find change. So please don't try to cover it up. You need grace. You need mercy. And if you hide in the dark, it will only make things worse. Now, while David later would confess a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. If David was broken over sin and came to the Lord, he knows this would have avoided this whole mess. But David isn't broken or contrite here. So he devises a plan to cover up their sin. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 6. So David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. By the way, this is where things begin to just start breaking down when you try to cover up. Right? Time is ticking. All right? And last I checked, babies are on a timer. Right? At some point, someone down the road, if David really thinks about this, he's got to realize someone's going to do the math and be like, wow, that's a really big big boy for a preemie. Looks just like you, David. David has him sent home, and when Uriah, verse 7, was come unto him, David demanded of him. The word there, demanded, is probably a little bit too strong, but the idea is it's, it, he makes this an official meeting. You know, David said, well, the reason I sent for him is because I need a report. I need a report on what's going on. He demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. 
Now, as one of David's high-ranking soldiers, Uriah would know the situation at Rabbah better than others. And so this would seem like a normal thing. Can't have Joab come back. I need somebody reliable. I don't just want some messenger. I need one of my top guys. Tell me how things are going. Tell me how the troops are doing. Tell me how the war is going. David acts like nothing is out of the ordinary. He pretends things were normal and right when nothing was normal or right. And that's the problem with covering up my sin. The idea that things can go on as normal even though I did something horribly wrong. That's the mindset. That I could somehow, I can make this work. I can, I can fix this. That it's okay to do what I did and not have to deal with it before God or before others. Because that's the truth of it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you've not experienced this and you're just better people than I am. But I know when I'm in a fix, not quite like this, but in a situation where I've got to come clean to somebody, I don't come clean to God because that means if I come clean to God, he's going to make me come clean to the somebody. And so I stay from, away from the Lord. I keep, I keep that thing. I don't, I don't want to talk to God. The Lord's like, you know, hey, you want to spend some time with me in the word? No, because you're going to want to talk to me about this. And then when you talk to me about this, you're going to make me go talk to somebody about this. And I'm not ready to do that yet. And so we stay in the dark. We know if we're going to deal with it before God, we have to deal with it before others too. And so we reject both and move on. You see, in what David's thinking here is, you know what? <laughs> I, if I play this right, Uriah goes home, reunites with his wife after our meeting's over. And while the timing might be a bit off, everyone's going to assume the child is Uriah's. And everything works out fine. Now, while that's David's thinking, we can look at this and know that's short-sighted, selfish, and foolish. Sin never goes away, or just goes away, for two reasons. <laughs> Number one, you know you did it. And number two, our sin does affect others. Numbers 32, 33, a, a verse that's often quoted, we don't always recollect the context of it. Be sure your sin will find you out. I always, every time I try to look for that in the Bible, I think it's got to be somewhere more famous than Numbers 32. But Numbers 32, verse 23, the context here is of the two and a half tribes who said, well, we don't want to settle in the promised land. We want to have this land on the other side of Jordan. And of course, that created a problem because they're saying, oh, so you don't want to go and go and take the land with the rest of us? You, you've got this land and you'll be good? No, 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 that's not, no, we, we're going to go fight with you, every single one of us. Our, our families will stay here, obviously probably leave some. <laughs> the scriptures are really clear that no men of war stayed behind. So, I mean, they were going to be vulnerable. So, no, 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 we're going to leave them there and we're going to come fight. We're going to, until the whole land is conquered. And so this is the context of this conversation where Moses is warning them. He says to them, if you're going to do this thing and you're going to do that, then fine, you can have this land. But verse 23 says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. If you give some half commitment, if, if somehow you hold back, if you don't commit all the troops, whatever, yeah, we may still go in and take the land and, and everything might work out fine. You might think we did it. We pulled it off. We, we got the scam. We got out of this free. And he goes, don't think that. Don't think that at all. Because the Lord will see it and your sin will find you out. In James chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, this progression of sin that we've referenced this a couple times. In James chapter 1, 15 and 16, it says, then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. 
And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, the King James says. It means don't make this mistake, my beloved brothers. Don't make this mistake, James says. The only solution to sin is confession and forgiveness or no confession and some type of discipline or judgment. That's it. There's no other options on the cards. It's, no, no, I'm going to go with option will and we're going we're gonna to fix this and I'm going to make it work. That's not an option. And that's why the scripture says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves when we think there is another option. You see, here's the truth of it. David didn't start this originally intending to murder Uriah or even to marry Bathsheba. But because cover-ups don't work, they usually lead to further cover-ups to protect the first one. Lies to protect the lies that are protecting the lies, which compounds our sin. Now, to encourage David's desired result, he dismisses Uriah with a dinner gift. Verse 8, after the report comes in, David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. Now, take a load off, man. And so Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess, a gift of food from the king. The phrase, wash your feet, it's what a person does when they're going to relax and enjoy a meal. I mean, I'm not saying we don't wash our feet, we take showers here, but Generally speaking, because of how we interact, we don't need to do that in the same way they would need to if you're going to put your feet up. And that's what that means, wash your feet. It means you're, going to, you're not going to be doing any work. That society, when you wash the feet, it's because you're going to sit down and you're going to eat. You're going to sit down and, and, and have a time of relaxation and rest. And what David is hoping, that it leads to a physically intimate moment with his wife. And so... He sends food. Enjoy a meal, man. Take, take a load off. Relax. If David was going to do Uriah true honor, he would have invited him to eat at his own table in the palace. But David's about deception tonight. He's not about honor. Uriah, on the other hand, is a man of honor. And so he doesn't go home. Look at verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah didn't go down into his house. I mean, David's got other people involved in this plot. David said unto Uriah, did you not come from your journey? Why then did you not go down into your house? And Uriah said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah, they abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. The door to David's palace would have been probably the the guardhouse, the entrance area, most likely where David's royal officials or his personal bodyguards slept when they were off duty. He just camps out there with all the other servants because that's what he sees himself in. I came home on a military mission and I need to get back on my main mission. He says, you know, the ark's out there. I mean, this is interesting because the ark is not something that Israel normally took into battle. This is the other thing that kind of blows me away is that why was David so opposed to being out there leading his armies against Ammon when he he had the ark sent out there to to help lead them? I mean, why would David not want to be as close to the Lord's presence as possible? That's the ark of his presence. 
Something's going on here. Hebrews 2.1 talks about it. It says, let us therefore take the more earnest heed, lest at any time we should let things slip. That's King James talk for this. We don't naturally move forward on our own. (laughs) Our natural way to move is backwards. Our natural way is to drift. It's like if you're out at the ocean, you're in the water having a good time. Me and Bev, we, we went to one of the islands here on the West Coast for our 25th anniversary. And we went out to the ocean and had a blast, but we kept having to drag ourselves back to our, where our hotel was at. The area, because before we knew it, we're looking up going, I don't recognize any of these buildings. The, the current takes you along. Our natural tendency is to drift, to go away from the Lord. If you want to backslide, it's real easy. Just do nothing. That's your natural tendency. It's my natural tendency. Jesus said in John 15, 5, about abiding. He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So, Staying close to Jesus requires being intentional. It requires investment into our relationship with the Lord. And so, I don't know why David's keeping his distance. We know other people who followed the Lord at a distance didn't work out well for them either. Well, Uriah's explanation to David, shall I then go into my house while all these are out there on the mission? I don't think Uriah intends this as a rebuke to David, but it does put David's desire for relaxation in a bad light, does it not? I mean, someone who is after God's glory, basically, as Uriah is saying here, the ark's out there, man. Someone who's after God's glory and is loyal to his companions, I love what he says at the end, I will not do this thing. In his mind, they would not do this thing either. So again, I don't necessarily think Uriah is trying to rebuke David, But, I mean, that's how it comes out. David, I got to get back on mission. And I'm sure (laughs) the words to David are probably, yeah, that's probably where I should be. And thus, David's sin is exposed without Uriah having a clue about what's going on. In Uriah's words, without telling David, he's saying, you've been selfish, disloyal, and ungodly, David. I imagine the Holy Spirit's working on David saying, this is how you're supposed to be. David, bring this into the light. Confess your sin and repent. Talk to Uriah right now. Yeah, it's going to be hard, and it's not going to be easy sailing moving forward. But if you bring this out into the open, we can get past all this. Instead, David doubles down. Look at verse 12. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. The idea here is what he's telling him. He's, the word there, depart, let you depart, means I will dispatch you. In other words, with orders for Joab. I don't know what I, I, want, I want Joab to do. Based on your report back to me, I'm not sure yet the, what I want Joab to do. So I, I need a couple days. So stay here for today, stay for tomorrow, and then I'll dispatch you with your orders to Joab. Again, David tries to play the situation off as normal. I'm still figuring out what I want Joab to do next. So don't worry, I'll get you back into the fight, you loyal, godly man. He's pretending like, yeah, I, I get it. I get it, Uriah. I'll get you back out there. Don't you worry. But I'm not sure what to do yet, so give me, a, give me a couple more days. The truth is, David plans that night to give him the true guest of honor treatment in the hopes of getting him drunk enough that he'll compromise his convictions and go home to sleep with Bathsheba. 
verse 13. And when David had called him, and he invited him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. Obviously, he didn't force him to drink. But the idea here is that he kept the alcohol flowing in the hopes that he would go and forget his convictions. I like what David Guzik said. He said, David was drunk with lust when he slept with Bathsheba. He hoped making Uriah drunk with wine would bring the same result. And yet, it says he went not down. At that evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. Uriah's resolve remains despite his intoxicated state. Some commentators have suggested that he was on to David, but the scriptures give no hint of this at all. It's very likely that Uriah was just a very principled man. And someone who values loyalty very highly. When I think about David eating and laughing and talking of old times with his friend all the while, trying to get him drunk to cover up his sin, my gut twists. This affair he had was a bad enough betrayal, but this, this one was just as bad because none of it was real. It was all a lie. And that's why the Bible has such strong language about lying. The word truth in the Bible, it almost always means that which is real, that which is genuine. A lie is the opposite of that. It's a fabrication, an unreality, something phony or fake, and therefore a deep betrayal of trust. And as that lie must be protected, eventually it must be populated with even more lies and betrayal. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Strong on me will say